am a brand new elected legislator. I have never served in office in my entire life. I think some of you read my bio a little bit. Uh, it's, it's expanded on in the program slightly. Um, when, when I ran a campaign, I ran a campaign. Uh, we basically invented the campaign. My wife, my kids, uh, myself, my family, um, extended family, and friends. And because uh, no one really tells you how to do it. And I ran one based on integrity. Um, I'm grounded. I'm a straight shooter. I will do exactly what I tell you I'm going to do. And that's what I did. Uh, I, I'm not challenged this year. Um, I did exactly what I told people I would do in Madison. And uh, whether they agree with me or don't agree with me, I talk, to, I talk to constituents all the time on both sides of issues. So um, I've stood by my principles. And uh, my goal in office is to be the best statesman that I can possibly be. Everyone hears the term politician, right? Does anyone know the difference between a, pol between a politician and a statesman? No? A politician will tell you what is popular, but not necessarily true. A statesman will tell you what is true, but not necessarily popular. Um, so I have no problem telling people what I see as issues uh, in this state and this nation, but that might not necessarily always be the popular thing to say. Um, so I'm going to kind of breeze over the introduction here because we kind of went over it a little bit. Um, been in the military, got a big family. I've actually got three young girls. Uh, we live in uh, just north of West Bend in Kewaskum, so not too far away from here. Uh, I've been a pilot. I've been a police dispatcher. I'm a small business owner. I still manufacture diplomas for school districts around the country. I'm a military veteran. You heard I was in Iraq and Afghanistan, and I'm a firefighter and EMT, and I still am. And actually, we had a hearing in Madison on rural EMS issues today uh, and staffing issues. So even though I don't have any political background, I did bring a lot to the table in Madison because I have a lot of different ideas and different experiences to pull from. Uh, so no matter what walk of life you might find yourself in, I never expected to be here. You might find yourself there one day. You never know what the Lord's calling will be for you. So this, uh, this presentation is a little bit about uh, government from a Christian point of view and how we as, me as a legislator and you in the real world um, because Madison is definitely not the real world, um, well, should be letting your light shine. And, and I want to touch on that a little bit tonight, too, uh, as Christians, uh, how we let our light shine. So this is not a political presentation. This presentation uh, is intended to show you how we can kind of tie Scripture with our role as Christians when it comes to discussing government and discussing issues in society today. Um, this is a passage I like to refer to uh, regularly um, as a legislator, Matthew 5, verse 16. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And for the couple of you, Rebecca and Alicia, right? Yes. A couple of you were out in Madison with Pastor Don. I did it when I did my talk at the University Chapel. That's, uh, that's what our talk was about. So I'm sure it's no surprise to any of you in this building, um, especially those of you who are Christians, there is an absolute war on Christianity going on in our society today and traditional family values. And um, this isn't meant to be a political statement at all. I respect our president because he's the president. But he has been the most anti-religious president we have had in the history of this country. And I'd just like to go into a, a couple of points. Um, I mean, there, there's dozens of them, things that he's done that you don't necessarily see or hear about in the media, things that he has done since he took uh, the oath of office uh, seven years ago. Uh, first one is attacks on Christian-based organizations. Does, can anyone name 
some kind of attack that the executive branch has, has made on Christian-based organizations over the last seven years. There you go, Hobby Lobby. And actually with the Hobby Lobby case, uh, there was also a uh, Mennonite company in, I think, somewhere in Pennsylvania. I think it was a, um, a furniture manufacturer. They were tied together in the same case, and basically the case was the one with uh, uh, Affordable Care Act, Obamacare, and having to provide, uh, basically having to pay for insurance that subsidizes abortions. Um, that's one of them. Uh, and I'll just give you a couple more here. Um, February 2013, the Obama administration announces that the rights of religious conscience for individuals will not be protected under the Affordable Care Act, the Hobby Lobby. January 2012, the Obama administration argues that the First Amendment provides no protection for churches and synagogues when hiring pastors and rabbis. That's pretty shocking, huh? You're a church and you can't decide how you're, who you're going to hire and how you're going to hire them. Uh, November 2011, President Obama opposes inclusion of President Franklin Roosevelt's famous D-Day prayer on a World War II memorial. Um, I've got just two more here and then we'll move on to the next one. April 2009. When speaking at Georgetown University, Obama orders that a monogram symbolizing Jesus' name be covered when he is making his speech. And February 2009, President Obama announces plans to revoke conscience protection for health workers who refuse to participate in medical activities that go against their beliefs and fully implements the plan in February 2011. And I think some of you have heard about these issues too with the Affordable Care Act. Um, that's just, just a few of them. Um, he has also been waging a war on military personnel. And I, have any of you served in the military? Any of you in the military right now? Okay, no? Okay. Um, I remember when I went through basic training in 2003, um, 2002, uh, it was, um, I actually went to the chapel every weekend. We worshiped, uh, it was a Protestant chapel, even though I'm Lutheran, that was, you know, that, that's what they had, uh, at Fort Benning, Georgia. And I never noticed anything different. Um, even when we went overseas, we had a, a actually a Missouri Synod chaplain with us. I uh, went overseas with the um, first of the 147th Aviation Battalion out of Madison. And you could talk to him about anything. But that's been changing. A um, couple of things that, a uh, couple of attacks that have been made, and there's been some really recently uh, on the military. August 2013, a senior master sergeant was removed from his position and reassigned because he told his openly lesbian squadron leader that she should not punish a staff sergeant who expressed his views in favor of traditional marriage. So you can't even talk about traditional marriage. Uh, June of 2013, the Obama administration strongly objects to a defense authorization amendment to protect the constitutionally guaranteed religious rights of soldiers and chaplains, claiming that it would have an adverse effect on good order, discipline, morale, and mission accomplishment. That's actually the primary reason they send chaplains overseas, is to improve morale, um, and for, for obviously spiritual welfare. May 2013, an Air Force officer was actually made to remove a personal Bible from his own desk because it might appear that he was condoning the particular religion to which he belonged. Sounds like our schools. But uh, even in the military, you can't have your own Bible on your desk anymore. May 2012, the Obama administration opposes legislation to protect the rights of conscience for military chaplains who do not wish to perform same-sex marriages in violation of their strongly held religious beliefs. And my own pastor in West Bend has told me that he worries that the day is coming before he retires that the government is going to tell him that he has to marry same-sex couples even though it's against his religious belief. November 2011, the Air Force Academy rescinds support for Operation Christmas Child. Have any of you heard of that program? Uh, Samaritan's Purse? Right. I've got my, uh, my um, seven-year-old daughter's doing it for the first time this year. She sold lemonade at one of my fundraisers uh, so she could send a box overseas. But, um, 
Air Force Academy is no longer supporting it, a program to send holiday gifts to impoverished children across the world because the program is run by a Christian charity. Oh, my. Um, and then attacks on biblical values. Does anyone have any um, examples of ways the executive branch in this government's been attacking biblical values? Uh, that could be Jewish. It's been all across the, all across the spectrum, Jews, Protestants, Catholics. Um, anyone? No? I'll give you just a couple, and then we'll move on here. Uh, July 2011, President Obama allows homosexuals to serve openly in the military. Oh, I'm sorry. That's, uh, oh, that is biblical values. Uh, it's military, too. Reversing a policy originally instituted by George Washington. I never knew that before. In uh, March of 1778. May 2009, the White House budget eliminates all funding for abstinence-only education and replaces it with comprehensive sexual education, repeatedly proven to increase teen pregnancies and abortions. He continues the deletion in subsequent budgets. And, May, and March 2009, President Obama orders taxpayer funding of embryonic stem cell research. And that's something we've been fighting in the state. There's actually, um, he's also been funding um, fetal body part research. And that's the reason that the UW system wants to continue the research because they are getting funds from the federal government right now. Um, so uh, we'll move on from that. But uh, obviously there is a war on Christianity from the federal government and the executive branch in particular. Um, now, as we transition between the executive branch's war on Christianity and some judicial branch uh, issues, I just want to share with you briefly a uh, sincerely held belief of mine. Uh, we as both Christians and citizens of this democratic republic, we're not a democracy, we are a republic because we elect people to vote for us, have a duty to stand up for our faith, reinforce the need for strong traditional families, protect the historical context of the Constitution, and promote a society with boundaries, morals, and values. That is something that the government's trying to get rid of completely nowadays, and they're actually trying to start all of this in the school system so that when kids grow up, they think, hey, whatever, what we're doing right now is perfectly fine, it's perfectly moral, and these are the kids that are going to vote down the road, and it is all over. How many of you have heard of the term revisionism, besides some of the questions, the questions I sent home? Revisionism? Can anyone, uh, has anyone researched it? Come on. <laughs> um, anyone have any idea of what it is? Pastor Dunn. Right. Right. Um, and there are a couple instances that I'll, I'll touch on tonight where the government has actively been trying to rewrite history and re-educate re us. Uh, the um, dictionary definition, uh, it's an advocacy of the revision of an accepted, usually long-standing view, theory, or doctrine, especially a revision of historical events and movements. Um, to put that in plain English, uh, force a change in public policy. So if basically government comes out and says this is the way it is, uh, that people may not necessarily embrace, but will eventually alter the way people view history and traditions. And it only takes a couple generations. President Reagan talked about it. Uh, freedom is only one generation away from extinction, right? So if uh, your teachers weren't taught this in school when you went through school, uh, some of these things that we're going to talk about tonight, well, how are they going to teach you? Because they don't know. This is one big example of uh, something that has been revised over the past decade. It's been a huge issue. Um, marriage. Um, the judicial branch has been revising a lot of things in our society and basically changing the way or forcing us to change the way that we view things, especially as Christians. 
um, so can anyone tell me where did marriage originate? We'll just get into a marriage discussion for a few minutes here. Where did marriage originate? Come on. Right, the Bible. It's a biblical institution. Um, as Christians, we understand that marriage is a biblical institution. It is an other than me-centered union. Uh, marriage is an other-centered union with an opposite-sex spouse and the blessing of children in a me-centered world. And that's where our country has kind of turned itself upside down. Um, Genesis 2 verse 24 says, That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. God designed marriage to provide a few things, companionship, uh, sexual privileges, the blessings of children, and to ultimately to glorify God. Uh, marriage goes far beyond personal happiness. It goes beyond a societal institution to raise children. Um, marriage is to glorify God. We all as sinners fall short. And we all, you'll find out when you get married, I know it, Pastor Don knows it, I'm sure the Lemkes know it, uh, we all fall short. We all sin. We all have days, um, selfish days, um, arguments, but we forgive each other. And when we forgive each other, we are we're, um, modeling God's mercy of grace. And uh, he planted marriage as another signpost po pointing to his existence. Um, after Jesus said, he is the bridegroom and heaven will be the wedding banquet. So I had a friend ask me a couple months ago, and I'm sure some of you have thought of this. I think the vicars thought of it. Why don't we as a state get out of the institution of marriage, get, get out of the um, business of issuing marriage licenses? Because if we get out of the business of issuing marriage licenses, we don't have to recognize same-sex marriage anymore. Does anyone think that's a good idea? No? Okay. Um, I did a little bit of research on this, and I, um, some of you may have seen this already. I passed this along. I think I passed this link along, right? Um, Ryan Anderson's uh, article on marriage, what it is, why it matters, and the consequences of redefining it. And he actually wrote this just before the Supreme Court uh, decision on uh, gay marriage a few years ago when it was being argued in court. And um, what I learned in here is that we are actually the first government in history, history of this world, to promote marriage as a feel-good institution, not an institution that will benefit society. Um, it's a feel-good institution, it's a me-centered institution. It is an, I am the adult and this is about me. Um, marriage has been promoted by multiple cultures. This is a, a Roman picture of a family, young family. Um, it's always been defined as a union, uh, whether it be Greek culture, Roman culture, between a man and a woman, primarily for the production of rearing children as educated, successful members of society. And there's a reason for that. Um, so even these cultures that, I mean, there were sexual perversions galore in, in these cultures. But they still understood that the civil institution of marriage was very important to their society and, and to the structure of their society and to the um, longevity of it. Um, so putting the biblical institution of marriage aside, there are still reasons that the state should have an interest in maintaining and promoting marriage, even if the definition has been revised and perverted by the courts. Uh, we do not want to abolish this civil institution. 
Can anyone tell me why we might not want to get rid of this? Why we don't want to go down that path? Why we as a state still want to ensure that we have marriage, issue marriage licenses? Come on. You're all critical thinkers, right? You're in college. <laughs> it's too late, right? When the government encourages marriage between a man and a woman, they are promoting monogamy, sexual exclusivity, and permanence. The state, and this is the key point here, the state strengthens civil society and reduces its own role. And crudely, it's about money. It's, it's about money and it's about ensuring that you have strong leaders in the future, down the road. Um, pastors, teachers, um, business leaders, government leaders. Um, and, and for the welfare of our society, and, and it is costly. Uh, these are just some numbers that I'll put out here. Brookings Institution study, 1970 to 1996. The breakup of families and divorces in families cost $229 billion in welfare. 2008, uh, this was a study that single parent child rearing cost $112 billion a year to taxpayers. And a Utah scholar just recently estimated that divorce cost government $33 billion a year really, really expensive. Um, besides the fact that it obviously hurts the children, it's no longer about the kids, it's about me. Um, obviously there are reasons that people get divorced, uh, not, you know, not downplaying that, but, uh, but I think we as a society have, have gone down a road that is gonna be very hard to turn around. So what has changed with the Supreme Court opinion? Um, we have moved from a civil definition of marriage that is the least restrictive means of ensuring the well-being of children to a civil definition of marriage that is based on emotions. That's about me. And this is where our nation dropped the ball, quite honestly. Um, from the government, the civil perspective, we got out of the business of marriage and turned it into a me-centered lifestyle. Um, Does anyone know what this picture is of? This will surprise a few of you, I think. Gentleman, right? The brown shirt? Nope. This is still about marriage. Um, it's actually 1969. This is President Ronald Reagan. President Ronald Reagan started this problem in our country, which, like I said, will surprise a few of you. Um, he actually said later on in his life that this is uh, something he should have never signed. Um, No-fault divorce was signed into law in 1969. And basically, that means that one individual can petition to, for divorce. It makes it real easy, cut and dried. We're out of the picture. It's over. We're moving on. Um, and uh, well, this, this, is, this actually is what started a very slippery slope in our country. And I don't know where it's going to stop unless we, as Christians, stand up for these values and, and stop it. Um, 2015, we moved on to gay marriage. Gay marriage and marriage between same-sex couples is perfectly fine. Uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy actually said, no union is more profound than marriage for it embodies the highest ideals of love, fidelity, devotion, sacrifice, and family. What's the future? Polygamy, bestiality, where does it end? And um, I don't know if I put the picture in here. Oh, here. Has anyone seen this picture? It's just last week. They were recently arrested. Uh, Oklahoma. It is a mother and a daughter who got married, Oklahoma. They love each other. 
perfectly fine, right? They love each other. So where does it end? Where does it end if we as a society don't stand up and say, here are the boundaries? She doesn't look like it, but she's actually 25. She looks a lot younger in there. Um, so let's shift our focus a little bit from some of the downer cultural issues. <laughs> and uh, I'll move on to some uplifting news in government um, regarding uh, specifically our state government, because that's where I work. And my job is a legislature. And um, Jeremiah 29 verse 11 is a great way to tee this off. Um, we never know what God's plans are for us. But the uh, Lord says, For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And that goes for every one of you, and that goes for our nation, our state, and in our world. Uh, it's a great comfort to know that no matter what happens, uh, God is ultimately in control. So let me begin with an article that I wrote, um, reflected on my first nine months in office. This is just a portion of it. <clears throat> kind of my perspective as a new legislator. I've been surprised to find that there are more than a few legislators in our state who are not stereotypical politicians. Our government was never intended to be filled with career politicians, but rather with folks who have worked in the trenches like everybody else and are one day called upon to serve and represent their neighbors in an elected position, which is what the Founding Fathers intended. These individuals, myself included, are willing to take on the tough issues, act in the best interest of their constituents, regardless of what is popular, and hold strong to traditional family and solid Christian principles. And uh, everything that comes out of my office, everything that's written out of my office, I actually personally write. It's not someone else penning it for me. I do have a great staffer who vets it all for me and proofs it, but um, these are all my personal beliefs and my personal thoughts. And uh, that's the way it is for most of the, uh, at least on the uh, um, representative side of Madison, a lot of the uh, legislators write all their own things. Um, there are a lot of strong Christian people in government, and you don't hear that every day, and you won't hear it until one of us slips up, because then it makes the news, right? Um, hey, Christian legislator caught doing this. Um, but there are a lot of really strong people out there who are really fighting for the values and uh, the protections uh, that, that the Constitution offers, and um, ensuring that we, we uh, have them for years to come. Uh, Jeremy Thiesfeld, does anyone know him? Representative Thiesfeld? All right. Um, Pastor Don. He's an um, assemblyman from uh, Fond du Lac. He actually went to the same grade school as me, same high school as me, uh, just 10 years ahead of me. Um, uh, Representative Thiesfeld, Representative Craig, he's a Wisconsin Synod guy. Um, he graduated from Wisconsin Lutheran uh, High School. He's a year younger than me. Um, he just got elected to the state Senate. There's the, the House of Representatives, which is, is called the Assembly, and then there's the Senate, and he just moved over to the Senate. Uh, Senator Strobel, he's a strong Missouri Synod Christian. Uh, Senator Noss is a strong Christian guy. Um, the governor's chief of staff is actually a Wells guy. There's lobbyists who are Christian guys uh, and gals. Um, I never expected this when I got to Madison. I had no idea what to expect when I got to Madison. I didn't even know what I got paid before I ran for office, <laughs> to be quite honest. So, um, yeah, there are some great people out there. My office actually consists of, and I'll, I'll talk about it just a little bit here. Uh, I have one legislative staffer. People think that we have just this oodles of staffers in our office. I have one. Um, senators typically have about three because they cover three times the area. Every, we have 33 senators, 66, uh, 99 um, assembly representatives, and every senator covers three assembly representative areas. Um, personal constituent contact, I call back every constituent of mine. Agree or disagree, I call them back. Um, so believe me, it, when you hear that people tell you, hey, it makes a difference if you call your representatives, your elected officials, it really does. 
when I got, when the Bucks Arena deal was going on, and that was my toughest vote, by the way. Um, when that was going on, I got probably 20 calls, and that was a big deal. People do listen when you call their offices. It really does make a difference. Um, I remember the first time I called was, and it's really interesting because now we're talking about transportation and the gas tax again. The first time I called Madison, my representative, was when they were voting to get rid of the automatic indexing on gas taxes. Um, but it does make a difference. So, uh, When I work on legislation, though, there are a few guiding principles that I, I do lean on before I start. Uh, scripture passages that I can apply to any walk in life and that you can also. And these are passages that I actually referred to quite often when I was over in Iraq, and I had them highlighted on my... Uh, Camouflage Bible, which my daughter uses at school now. Um, and I'll, just, I'll just share them with you briefly here. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your paths straight. Proverbs 3, verse 6. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you and watch over you. Psalm 32, verse 8. In his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. Proverbs 16, 9. And that is profound, believe me. Um, Commit to the Lord whatever you do and your plans will succeed. And uh, did have one more on there, but I took it out just to shorten it. So, um, each of these pa passages is full of wisdom, and uh, they remind us that although we think we may know, we may think we know what our plans are tomorrow, we don't. Um, I had the opportunity to take a, uh, I was a pilot in the past, an airline job a few years ago. I turned it down, uh, JetBlue. Um, I was at another airline prior to that, but uh, had an, and I turned it down for family reasons. But had I not turned that down, I wouldn't be where I am today. I'd be flying in an airline somewhere. So, I mean, you, you never know. Um, and, and I've got multiple, multiple experiences like that, uh, even over the past couple of years with legislation, writing legislation. I mean, I had no idea that this would just fall in my lap and here's the way it would happen. So, so let me address a few pieces of legislation that I've worked on, and I'm, some of you may have heard of them. Um, usually a lot of my legislation makes the news. <laughs> um, not necessarily because I wanted to, but because that's what the media thinks is good, good stuff to talk about. Um, my number one priority as a legislator, and probably many of yours as Christians, is saving the preborn. Um, this is my biggest deal. This is an absolute scourge on our nation, and um, I will do whatever I can um, to save babies. Um, biggest bill I got passed last session, some of you might have heard of it, you might not have, uh, Pain Capable Unborn Child Protection Act. Any of you heard of anything referred to that? How about the 20-week abortion bill? Okay, that's what the media calls it. Um, Pain-capable unborn child protection act. I learned, I learned so much about when and how kids in the womb feel pain, and um, we basically um, we never thought we'd get it done here. We got it done. Um, from the time that science has determined that kids feel pain now, we're not allowed to abort in Wisconsin. And uh, I'm sure it'll go to court. Everything goes to court. Um, but there are, there are probably about, I don't know how many states now, probably about 15 other states that have done it. But that was by far um, the most, uh, I don't know, the most successful bill that I've had. It, it, was, it was unbelievable. Um, something else that I've, I've been working on is um, setting clear boundaries in society. I, I talked about that before. Reinforcing social norms, halting revisionism. And uh, redefining reality, uh, Bruce Jenner there. I think he's gone back to a man now, right? <laughs> uh, but uh, I had the student privacy bill in Wisconsin. I was the guy that hated transgender people, is what they said. 
Um, I was the guy who was a bigot, a hater. Um, I, uh, been mocked, ridiculed. I'm referenced, <laughs> and actually some, uh, some legislators were a little jealous of me because I made the, uh, the Capitol singers sing every day. Noon to one yet? I made one of their songs already. So <laughs> I've had pictures of me um, on the sidewalk. Uh, really good chalk art, by the way. If those people would apply themselves, um, it's phenomenal. I've, I've actually brought some along if you want to look at them later. Um, this was my bill. This bill protected every kid in school. Not just a select group of kids. It protected every kid. But all the media would report, and I had discussions with the guys who interviewed me, and they said, yep, but this is what our, our, our editors are going to do. Um, I said, you're, you're telling everyone, you get to the point that here's what I'm doing. You never tell them why I'm doing it. They would never discuss why I'm doing it. Well, why am I doing it? Because I don't want my kids to go to an open swim at a high school, go into the girls' locker room, and have a boy changing right next to them. That's why I did it. I don't think people with the same, different body parts should be changing next to each other, especially in, in K-12 schools. So, and this is what's going on. And, and what's been happening in other states, Oregon, uh, Washington, um, there's been reverse discrimination going on. Um, and, and I asked some police officer friends of mine, and I'll touch on the reverse discrimination in a second. I asked some police officer friends of mine, I said, what will happen when we go down this road in Wisconsin, you get called into the locker room where there's a 14-year-old girl in her locker room with a little boy changing next to her. What are you as a police officer going to do? Are you going to put handcuffs on the boy and take him out? Because I bet you you're going to be sued. <laughs> I do. Um, what's been happening in other states, like Washington, who are progressive states, um, there was a girl's swim team, went into, um, went into change in the locker room. It was a high school swim team. Went into change in the girl's locker room, and there was a guy in there in the sauna. Uh, 30-something-year-old guy. The um, manager of the facility was, uh, was told about it. You know what they told him? They told the swim team to go change down the hall. Go find a different room. This is your room. It's reverse discrimination. So I'm not done with this. I actually met, uh, we had a Christian legislative conference down in Tucson about a month and a half ago. I met the guy that did the North Carolina bill, and I'm so proud of him because uh, he got it done. Uh, Dean Arp, he's a great, solid Christian guy. I met him and his wife. And I give them a lot of credit for doing what they're doing. Um, so this isn't over. And I'm sure you heard more about it today with the NCAA. Um, but um, and, and one thing I want to point out with this. So I, I've, I've talked, I have a really open relationship with the media. Um, I'm not afraid to go talk to um, some of the liberal media outlets. Journal Sentinel, I've, uh, I've stopped talking to them for a while. But Madison, I'll talk to all of them. Um, what they don't quite understand and, and what the people who attack um, this kind of legislation and those of us who do it don't understand um, is that, uh, I'll put it up right here, that this is, our, this is our, my personal belief and my personal philosophy. It's not to demean and degrade and to bash other people. Um, it's to love your neighbor as yourself. The Lord told us to do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment than this. So I treat everyone that comes into my office with respect. I had a meeting and they asked me about it at a hearing. Did you ever talk to anyone who is, you know, who has calls himself transgender or wants transgender bathrooms. And I said, yeah, I have. I sat down with them all. And I said, do you think that in your high school you want to be changing next to someone who has different body parts than you? And they said, no. But they don't think that's what's, that, the, that, that this is what it is about. So, And this is something to remember in every walk of life, even when you get out and, uh, into your, uh, your careers. Um, 
we can come back to this if you want. We can talk about safety in schools. Uh, this is gonna be a much hotter topic in a couple months, so trust me. <laughs> so something, to, uh, something else that I wanted to pass on to you is when I'm drafting legislation and discussing legislation, I cannot, and this surprises some people, I cannot and will not separate my religious beliefs and personal convictions from my work as a legislator. Um, I'll continue to talk about social and cultural issues, even though, and I've heard this from some of my legislative colleagues, they don't want to talk about it because it's taboo. Uh, we weren't sent to Madison. We aren't paid, whatever, 52000 a year to sit in Madison and just do things that are easy. We were sent there by 58,000 constituents. That's how many people I represent and every other representative represents uh, to just talk about easy things. So um, I'm not going to put that down and um, tell you why here. Just a second. Can everyone see that? It's kind of hard to see. Uh, separation doctrine. Does anyone know what the separation doctrine is? You've all heard it. I know you have. Jeff? Come on. Um, You're a prof. <laughs> Put you on the spot. Yeah, so that's why I should be Jeff, but this doctrine itself is found in the Constitution, but it's based upon the intimacy of um, letter written by Thomas Jefferson. Yeah. Right? So, um, the first page should be a separation between the church and state. Right. Nine constitutions in the United States have been included there. Right. This is revisionist, and I'll tell you why. Um, and this, this will shock some of you. And this, where, this is where you get back to um, freedom is only one generation away from, from extinction. Um, if your teachers aren't taught what, what is really in the Constitution, Declaration, things like that, Bill of Rights, um, how can they pass it on to you? How will you ever know? You won't. Uh, you're just gonna, all you're going to know is what the media tells you and what you hear in the newspapers and what you see on TV. Um, the separation doctrine is eight words, the wall of separation between church and state. Um, can anyone tell me where that, that phrase, so Thomas Jefferson wrote it in a letter to a group of Baptists in Danbury, Connecticut. Um, but does anyone know where that phrase actually really originated, where he actually stole it from? No? Um, it is, um, it's during the Reformation time, the churches wrote that phrase. Because during that time, uh, if any of you remember, if any of you have seen The Tudors, it's, it's a Netflix show. All right. Um, King Henry VIII. Um, this is when he was basically taking over the church so he could have a divorce. He couldn't get a divorce. Catholics wouldn't allow him to get a divorce. Um, he was trying to bring in Protestantism, Lutherans, and then he eventually took over the Church of England. And this was written by the church, wall of separation between church and state, to protect the churches from government not to protect government from church, not to protect government from religion. Um, this, became a, this became a huge flap in Madison. Um, I had a Christmas tree bill last fall because um, it's a goofy bill, and we can talk about it later if you want to. I had to do it um, because we had a church in Kewaskum, um, Wisconsin Synod Church, actually. Uh, and I don't know if you've noticed, but a lot of the churches that had, used to have big live Christmas trees, they're all of a sudden fake Christmas trees. Well, that's because of a whole bunch of Rigmarole, but anyway, they wanted a live Christmas tree yet, and so we did this bill. But I got the Freedom from Religion Foundation to show up and talk about this bill. Uh, they're based in Madison. Um, there was also a huge flap with uh, a representative in Madison who put out a video around Christmas time, uh, inviting people to come to church, and uh, the Freedom from Religion Foundation absolutely lost it. Um, but there's nothing wrong with that. Uh, there's nothing wrong with us talking about 
our personal beliefs, Christianity, religion, as long as we are not establishing a religion. We are not saying this state is a Lutheran state or a Christian state or a you know, Catholic state. We're not doing that. We're just saying these are my personal beliefs. Um, and that's what this comic is about. And this is what the First Amendment actually says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion. We are not establishing a religion here if we're having a nativity scene in front of a, a post office or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Another church and state cartoon. Who could tell me, this is the one of the first public schools, why the first public schools were begun? No. They were begun to teach the children the English language so they can protect themselves from civil abuses in the new America by being biblically literate. And here's a law from 1690 Connecticut. This legislature, actually, I don't know if you can read it on here. It's pretty small. Oh, maybe you can. This legislature, observing that there are many persons unable to read the English tongue and thereby incapable to read the holy word of God or the good laws of this colony, it is ordered that all parents and masters shall cause their respective children and servants as they are capable to be taught to read distinctly the English tongue. And there are dozens of references to worshiping learning the teachings of Christ and a day of rest on the Sabbath in colleges and universities, including Harvard, Yale, and William and Mary. But many of you never heard that either. Um, so Thomas Jefferson, um, how many of you heard that the founding fathers are not Christian people? Come on, everyone. Yeah, they were. The majority of them were very, very strong Christians. Even Thomas Jefferson, who's considered, people call him a deist, and you know, he really um, wasn't a, a Christian. Um, you'll find out here, um, he actually was. Um, they, there is a book, and I've been reading it to my kids gradually, um, on the Founding Fathers, and they used this book in the public schools and all the way up through the mid-1800s. And... Uh, it goes through every single founding father. It talks about every single one of them, like what their life was like, what their background was, where they came from. There are so many um, pastors, uh, people with uh, um, divinity degrees. It, it's unbelievable. Um, I was just trying to find the, uh, the quote here. Um, have any of you heard uh, David Barton, Wall Builders uh, Group? Um, he's got one of the largest collections of uh, founding father documents in the country, and he actually goes around the country uh, doing presentations on this and talking about this issue because even judges and um, legislators don't know about these issues. Um, so he talks about these very issues. I got to t see him talk in Green Bay last year. Um, but he has some, I've got a couple books here I'll show you later. He's got some very good books out if you're interested in, in this more. Um, but Thomas Jefferson, um, July 4, 1776, he was actually appointed to a committee to establish a draft uh, draft an official seal for our new government. Does anyone know what that new seal was? The seal was, um, it's biblical. It's a uh, pillar of, of uh, uh, the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. The Israelites in the desert. Thomas Jefferson wanted that as our official government seal. You think that'd stay on as a seal today? <laughs> I mean, we're fighting to keep in God we trust on, on pieces of paper, but... Um, British blockade of 1777. Um, during the British blockade, Americans had a shortage of commodities, including Bibles. 
Uh, on July 7th, a request was placed before Congress to print or import more because they said, quote, unless timely care can be used to prevent it, we shall not have Bibles for our schools and families and for the public worship of God in our own churches. Congress concurred with the assessment and announced, quote, the Congress desire to have a Bible printed under their care and by their encouragement, unquote. A special committee overseeing that project therefore recommended, uh, the use of the Bible is so universal and, and its importance so great, your committee recommend that Congress will order the Committee of Commerce to import 20,000 Bibles from Holland, Scotland, or elsewhere into the different ports of the states of the Union, and I would love to see that done today. <laughs> I don't see it happening. We can't even have a Bible on our desk in the military. July 13, 1787, the Northwest Ordinance adopted by the Second Continental Congress, and, and uh, Wisconsin was originally in, uh, in some of that territory. They said, quote, religion, this is right in the Northwest Ordinance, religion, morality, and knowledge being necessary to good government and the happiness of mankind, schools and the means of education shall forever be encouraged. Not happening. By 1795, work on the new capital under the overseer's secretary of state, Thomas Jefferson, was proceeding so rapidly that he approved a special activity in the capital while construction was ongoing. Can anyone tell me what that is? In the Capitol building. It is with much, this is, uh, uh, this was in a paper. Uh, actually, it's a Boston paper, I think. Uh, it is with much pleasure that we discover the rising consequence of our infant city. Public worship is now regularly administered at the Capitol every Sunday morning at 11 o'clock by the Reverend Mr. Ralph. And in December um, of 1800, Congress approved a plan to hold church services in the House of Representatives, and that considered until late in the 19th century. So we are not allowed to have nativity scenes in front of our capital. And this is really interesting, too. Um, in 1782, Congress finally did approve the first Bible. Um, this is one that we actually printed in the U.S., the Aiken Bible. Have any of you heard of the Aiken Bible? Um, 1782, first Bible to roll off the presses in America, the Aiken Bible. In the front of that edition was the congressional endorsement, and it's actually right, uh, it's right about to that. It's right up here. You might be able to see it. Whereupon resolved that the United States in Congress assembled recommend this edition of the Bible to the inhabitants of the United States. Wow. I don't hear that taught in the public school very often. And this is that uh, the Ronald Reagan quote, um, and all of you have heard it. Freedom is never more than one generation away from extinction. Uh, we didn't pass it on to our children in the bloodstream. Uh, it must be fought for, protected, handed on for them to do the same. Or one day we will spend our sunset years telling our children and our children's children what it was once like to live in the United States where men were free. And I think we're already to that point. Um, so the Christian's role. Um, let me just finish on this note regarding Christians in the government, and then I'll take any questions. I think we have probably about 10 minutes here for questions. Um, the Lord has given us a truly amazing blessing. We live in a free nation. We live in a democratic republic, um, uh, constitutional republic form of government. And uh, as such, we're entrusted to ensure that as Christians, we elect leaders um, who will not only, who will do what is right for this nation, the state, um, but not necessarily for our own selfish means, uh, to do what is right for the Lord also. Um, and once again, I mentioned abortion. 
<laughs> that's the way I vote. Um, and uh, we, we have to vote for godly leaders, um, not necessarily people who will, who will promote our own self-centered goals. I mean, money will come and go, but uh, um, we have to stay principled. Um, so let me just leave you with this. Uh, oh. Uh, educate, make sure you educate your, yourself, your friends, and your relatives, whether it be um, uh, with your pastor um, or with your teachers, if they um, are aware of a lot of these things. Ner learn the nation's true history, not just textbook history, not just what the media tells you. Um, don't take the media for granted uh, regarding future local and, and state, uh, state and national leaders. And then from a Christian perspective, uh, talk to your pastor, know the word, train your children in the way they should go. And uh, I mentioned this before, but stay principled. Don't lose, don't lose your principles. Don't lose your values. Don't let this world conform you. Um, always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Um, 1 Peter 3, verse 15. So um, I guess with that, I'll, uh, I'll entertain any questions. If anyone has any, I, I can talk about how my office functions. I can talk about legislation we've worked on, are working on, um, some of the cultural issues out there, issues in the state nationally. Does anyone have any questions for me? Yes, sir. Um, let me see if it's actually in here. He did, so it was a D-Day prayer. It was Franklin Roosevelt's D-Day prayer. Um, he opposed its inclusion on the World War II Memorial, so them adding it to the memorial. He didn't want it added to the memorial because it was a prayer. I have, um, this is actually, this article is a little old, a little dated, because it only goes up through 2013. There's been a lot of military stuff coming out lately, um, uh, taking Christianity out of the military. Um, but this, uh, this was put out by David Barton also. Um, the, um, the two really good books, um, The Jefferson Lies, this is a really good book, um, exposing the myths you've always believed about Thomas Jefferson. And then uh, this one, Original Intent, is absolutely awesome. Um, the courts, the Constitution, and religion. And it, it cites everything. Um, it, it's unbelievable. So I would definitely recommend it. It's, it's a little tough to read uh, first time around. It took me to, two times around because um, I got halfway through and then started over again but about a year later. But they're really good. I, I do recommend them. So. Anyone else? Yes, ma'am. Well, it's, uh, it's 20 weeks. Um, yeah, it's, it's right. And I would love to, I would love to ban abortion there, but so in Wisconsin, you can't do any after 20 weeks. There were, if you look back, so right. If you look back at the Department of Health, Department of Health Services actually tallies this information. It's sick if you look online. There were about, I'd have to go back and look now. There were a little over, uh, based on 2014 stats, there were a little over 100 some babies that were killed after 20 weeks um, in the womb. So I like to look at this as we're preventing about 100 deaths a year, um, torturous brutal, barbaric deaths. Um, 
So it is a step in the right direction. It's not as far as I want to go. I'd love to get rid of it completely. But um, this is one that the other side had a very difficult time arguing. Um, we had, I was expecting, so by the time a bill gets to the floor to get voted on, we already know where it's going. It, it, it's going to become law. Or, I mean, we're going to pass it in the, that chamber. We know what's going to happen by the time it gets there. But um, every, time, every side of the issue typically wants to debate bills. And we set time limits on, they get together, both sides get together and decide, well, here's how long we're going to debate this bill, this bill, this bill. I thought this was going to be a six-hour debate. It was like 45 minutes. Um, we have hearings before that that were a lot longer, obviously. Uh, we had all-day hearings on this um, where you sit there and you testify for a couple hours in front of a committee, and then they bring in ex experts on both sides. Um, but the debate on the floor, yeah, I mean, how do you argue it? I mean, we got the science there. Right. We've got doctors of anesthesia who, who are performing um, anesthesia in the womb for surgery on babies in the womb that are doing anesthesia because they feel pain, even though these doctors are, don't necessarily agree with what we're trying to do. I mean, they're anesthesiologists. They're not necessarily people that are trying to stop abortions. Yeah. Um, so we had science on our side. Um, yeah, kids with hydrogen encephaly, um, basically no brainstem. Uh, if you look, I had a, a doctor, um, he's a neurologist up in the northern part of my district in Fond du Lac County. Um, he said it's splitting hairs. Basically, if you, if you pinch the kid, he'll move like he's, got, like he's in pain. So what is your per idea of pain? It's what your perception of pain is. Obviously, if you pinch him, whether he had a brainstem or not, he's feeling pain. Um, so, and they like to use the excuse that, well, you're not totally developed, you're, you're not feeling it. Oh, it's not true. Anyone else? How do you decide to get into politics? You know, you so, yeah. Um, I still am a pilot part-time, too, and I'm also still a firefighter EMT. Um, I got a, a um, newspaper. And, and so this, this is probably God working again. Um, we don't get the newspaper. I don't pay for the newspaper. Uh, Kewaskam statesmen sent around a paper twice a year to everyone in the, everyone in the area, just as an advertising gimmick. Uh, it happened to be that I was in my office, open the paper up, read it. Dan Lemahue, the uh, previous representative, uh, wrote an article in there about him. He was retiring, and he wanted a solid pro-life fiscal conservative to take a spot. Um, and I, uh, I'm always complaining about government. <laughs> and uh, and uh, I told my wife a couple days later, I said, you know, maybe I should just give this a shot. And she kind of blew it off. And... Uh, then I started making some phone calls, and then a few days later, I told her what, who some of the people were I was talking to, and then, then she got concerned. <laughs> and, uh, but um, yeah, it worked out, it worked out. I mean, there's no polling, you have no idea. Um, I ran against three other people, three other guys, um, and I, I wasn't afraid to talk about what I believed and tell people honestly, you know, this is what I stand for and this is where I'm going. I think people respect that. I mean, if you have integrity, I think they, they respect that, whether they agree with you on everything or not. So it's something to keep in mind, too, when you get out in the workplace. So, Pastor John. Someone like Adam or some other individual here that likes to think more about maybe becoming a, a public servant, what would you recommend that they do? Keep your integrity. <laughs> Stay out of trouble. Um, uh, Boy, I mean, for me, it was just getting a lot of life experience. Um, 
But if you if your ultimate goal, because I've got friends, I've got guys that could just graduate from college that are friends of mine. Um, their whole goal going through college was to become to eventually become a politician, statesman, um, make a difference um, in society. And I mean, I guess just just make sure that. I really don't know. Um, got me at a loss. Um, stay principled. Um, stay with your. I mean, keep your values. I think. Um, you know, if you, and I've I've got cards back there. If you think of questions, or you ever want to talk, or you're interested in doing something like this, I mean, a good place. A lot of people start. They don't jump into like state government right away. Um, they do start starting school boards. A lot of young kids starting school boards or starting. Uh, um, town councils and things like that. Um, that's a good way to get your feet wet, and it's pretty easy to get elected. I know people that in Kewaskum, I, I told them, I said, if you really want to get elected, all you got to do is go door to door. There's like, oh, what, 2,500 doors? Just drop a postcard in every door, and they won't even do that. I mean, it's really easy. It's not that hard. Um, just tell people, <laughs> just, it takes a little bit of work. Um, but yeah, that's, um, stay strong in the word. Anyone else? Mr. Lemke? Um, you, you don't have a degree, do you? Okay. Um, like, two year. Two year. For me, it wasn't. And, you know, that could change. I mean, people hammer on Governor Walker. When, you know, when, he's only got a two year degree, right? Ooh, just a two year. Well, it's still college. I mean, I went to college. I decided on a two year degree because it was cheaper. I paid for college on my own. Um, you heard I worked McDonald's. I worked a lot of McDonald's. Um, and uh, I felt I could get out in the workforce quicker. I would be that much farther ahead of my peers. I could go, always go back to school. Um, that was just me personally, and I can justify that, and I, I've never needed the four-year. Um, I've always kind of fallen into what God intended. Um, now, obviously, a political science degree doesn't hurt. There are a lot of, a lot of our staffers in Madison. Um, I've had political science degrees, and that kind of helps them because they kind of understand how the system works already. Um, but I almost think, like from, from my perspective, jumping in just cold feet, I mean, I didn't have any bias. I didn't have any understanding how anything worked. I was going to figure it out on my own, and I was going to have my own path, pave my own way, um, learn it myself, um, kind of like the campaign trail was. I mean, we had no idea. We just kind of figured, hey, um, we're not going to get the Republican list. We're going to get the voter list which could be anyone on that list, but we're going to talk to everyone. Um, my uh, counterparts got the Republican list, and I had people probably voting for me that didn't know who the other guys even were. Um, so it's, um, it's helpful in some situations. Uh, a lot of guys that work at uh, uh, some of these think tanks in the area, um, but it's not necessary. So, yes? Not yet, but that's what he's concerned about. And uh, I think you saw in Houston, was it last year, two years ago, when the mayor there was monitoring sermons from different pastors, um, and, and then she got inundated with Bibles at her office. <laughs> um, this, I worry about it. Um, Baraboo Schools just had a situation, uh, a Baraboo Lutheran School. Um, you might have heard of that. 
two months ago. Yes, uh, I actually met with uh, Wisconsin Lutheran Synod after that. Um, Jeremy Thiesfeld, Representative Thiesfeld, was down there too. We talked about the issue. Um, they put out a statement about the, uh, the bathroom school privacy thing, and um, Freedom from Religion Foundation went after them and filed a petition with the federal government, which hasn't gone anywhere. So, um, But I worry about it coming. I wrote an article last year, um, all these schools taking school choice dollars. I am very concerned about that. You, as a school, should be able to sever that tie in a heartbeat if you need to. Because I worry that, I mean, we're not going to stay, you know, this is bringing politics in it a little bit, but the state's going to flip again. We're not going to stay a Republican state forever. Even though the Republicans got statewide school choice, the Democrats are eventually going to take control. And they've already come out with, um, they had an amendment on the floor last year, a bill, um, that basically any choice school, they want to be able to do open records requests in every choice school. So it's coming. That stuff is coming. Teaching creationism in a choice school, um, I can see them saying, no, you don't have to learn creationism in a choice school. So you have to, these schools, and I know Representative Craig is very concerned about Wisconsin Lutheran High School because they have turned that culture upside down over there. Um, they've accepted far too many choice kids, outsiders, and the whole culture has changed, um, kids from foreign countries. And um, I mean, yes, it is an outreach tool. Representative Thiesfeld will talk about, yeah, it's an outreach tool. Yeah, to a point. But yet, we're trying to educate. We want to make sure that we're educating our kids. It's a ministry also. Uh, we're educating our kids for the world. Um, and this has been a discussion going on in some schools around our, our area even. Um, so the government is getting involved. And I, I, see, I see the day coming when they're going to, I mean, President Obama, um, with his uh, dear colleague letter to, the, to all these schools on, on the bathroom issue and the locker room issue. It is also a locker room, changing room issue, not just a bathroom issue, which the media doesn't want to talk about. Um, I had one other point that I was going to make, but uh, um, slips my mind on it. So, anyone else? One more? The um, original sources. Um, I would like. I haven't done it yet. I intend to read all the Federalist Papers, um, but the Federalist Papers, Bill of Rights. Um, actually, for Christmas last year, my in-laws gave my wife Federalist Papers on CD, and I had the Constitution of Bill of Rights on CD. And I, I've started it multiple times as I'm driving to and from, but, I mean, you get a little ways in, you are like, oh, what did I just miss? And you back up, back. But uh, you've got to be able to concentrate on it when you're, when you're listening to it. But, yeah, the Federalist Papers are phenomenal. I know there are school districts like Germantown, for instance. I think they're taking their kids through the Federalist Papers. Um, so they have an understanding. Like, for instance, did you know the... Uh, the three-fifths, have you, any of you heard of the three-fifths person in the Constitution? Do you know what that's really for? Is, is that just saying that a slave is a three-fifths of a person? Because they're, right, do you know why? Do you know who put that in there? The abolitionists put that in there. I just learned this a couple months ago. Um, and I found out from uh, KGB, uh, Kabir Gabajabi Amila. He's a, he's, he's, he never used to be a Christian. Um, he was actually Muslim. Uh, he became a Christian. Um, he actually um, had a, his, his girlfriend got pregnant in college. Um, he had an abortion. Um, he regrets it to this day. He has a huge family, but he is a solid Christian now. And he, he talks about this because he grew up going through the Los Angeles school district. He said, they taught me out there that, three, that the reason that was put in the Constitution was because uh, these people hated blacks and we were only three-fifths of a person. Well, the reason they put it in, three-fifths of a person, ensured that the South... When, you, when you're counting represent, number of people for representatives, had less people in government to be able to vote for abolition down the road. 
So if you're only taking every slave as three-fifths of a person, you're not getting as much representation now. Um, that, the abolitionists snuck that in. Um, and there's, there's actually three instances of that in the, uh, in the Constitution. But you would never know that going through the public school system today. Um, I think I had one more over here. One more? Okay. Okay. <clears throat> yeah, I'll be in the back. I think the big concern will be, <clears throat> so um, part of the problem with the public school system right now, um, and you're gonna see this with Milwaukee Public Schools because we're gonna start talking about it more, uh, violence in the classrooms. Um, you might've heard of some of that. Well, it's because the teachers can't punish kids because they're certain ethnicities or they're, they might not fall into this group or that group. And um, I think what they're gonna start going after it, is if they can get open records in these schools, they can start looking at, well, how are you disciplining your kids here? What kids are getting disciplined? Uh, what are you teaching? Um, and and th th there needs to be a clear separation um, between a religious institution, once again, the separation, um, and, and a, a government. Uh, this is government, like on that comic I had up there, breaking down the wall and saying, hey, we're coming in. We need to know what you're doing. We're coming into your, your your church and collecting your sermons and finding out what you're preaching. It's just so they know, basically to keep an eye on you, keep you in line, um, and, and it can be used against you down the road. So that's my concern with it. So thank you. Thank you, everyone.